I've never been like a quote unquote believer in like everything happens for a reason. What I do believe in is that it's up to you when something happens. So, you know, do I believe like, oh, it was made to be that I was the one to get injured? No, but what I do believe is that I've been given the opportunity now that I am injured to make a difference. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Not A 10 Podcast with Mary Griffin. My guest today is Jack Jablonski, who is a quadriplegic after being hit in a hockey game during his high school career. Um, He also is the contact coordinator and producer for the LA Kings, and he is the founder of the Believe in Miracles Foundation, which is a foundation that supports spinal cord injury and recovery. So I'm really excited. His story is absolutely incredible. If I could sum up his story and what he's doing now in one word, it would be hope. I think that's just the perfect word to describe it and him himself. Um, So I'm really excited for you guys to hear about his journey. It is super inspiring. I'm inspired every single time I watch a video, read his articles or anything like that. Um, So you guys are in for a really special treat today. But Jack, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, this is such an honor. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me, Mary. It's uh, I'm happy to do it and uh, excited to talk about everything. Yeah, I'm excited too. I feel like you're kind of like the epitome of what this podcast kind of stands for. It's like taking something that's bad that's happened to you and life is really not a 10 out of 10, but like, let's do something about it and let's make the world a better place because of what life has thrown at us. I totally think you are just like, the image of this podcast. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And uh, no, thank you. And you're exactly right. You know, like you, you can't always pick and choose what happens to you and, and life isn't a 10 all the times. And, you know, everyone has different varying um, ways that they perceive that, whether it's, you know, illness or injury or loss or whatever it may be. But at the same time, it's all about, you know, taking what you have and moving forward with it. We don't always get to choose it. And I think, um, you know, a lot of it comes down toughness or just the side of everything you know understanding you know that it's your life and you get to make certain decisions but not everything's always up to you absolutely couldn't agree more um so jack let's get into a little bit about who you are your background um where you're from where hockey came into your life just give us a little bit about you yeah for sure so i uh, i'm from minneapolis minnesota and um uh, as many people in the hockey world know, uh, it is the hockey hotbed of, of America and um, was very lucky to you know, have my parents get me into the game early. I started skating out on ponds and lakes when I was two years old, um, you know, started actually taking, you know, skating lessons and, and into hockey, but um, it was always a huge part of my life. And um, I, I love the game. I still to this day love it. And we obviously will get into that as well, but um I was on my way to playing division one sports. Um, I had just made the varsity team as a sophomore and um, was working my way up the lineup. And uh, unfortunately in a Christmas tournament right on January 30th uh, or December 30th, 2011, I was checked illegally from behind into the boards and I uh, broke my C5 and C6 vertebrae in my neck and then severed my spinal cord completely. So as you mentioned, um, I uh, am a quadriplegic from it. I have some upper body strength, but I'm technically paralyzed from the chest down um, and am bound to a, a power wheelchair. So 
Um, obviously, again, not ideal, but I was very, very lucky to have a lot of support and a lot of people that wanted to help and, and make sure that you know, I wasn't going to, quote unquote, fall off the rails. And um, it was extremely lucky to have that system um, behind me. And um, to this day, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And, um, you know, it's just a small piece of, of everything that's kind of trickled down since since my injury almost 10 years ago. But, um, you know, all in all, uh, I love the game. I, I can't see myself without it. I'm obviously involved uh, in it to this day and, and plan to be for, you know, hopefully the rest of my life as well. Yeah, totally. Um, I love that you're still involved with it. It's still such a big part of you. Um, so you're playing in high school. You're kind of succeed. You're also at this top tier, like program in Minnesota. Like I know yeah. you went to a really like, um, great high school for, in terms of just like hockey. Um, so you make varsity as a sophomore, the season's starting out great. You're working your way up. Um, what was kind of like the feel and energy of that season going into it? Well, going into the season, we were ranked number two in the state. So there were a lot of high expectations and we had a lot of really good players that were, um, there was like a core group of four within my grade that were all, you know, on pace to, to become, uh, you know, division one players, so to speak. And then above us, there was another group of probably six or seven. And then the senior group had another three or four as well. So we were all, um, we were all in a really good position, but it was a deep team. And we were obviously uh, benefiting from that. And we played in the conference that allowed us to, uh, to benefit and, and start early. But the, overall, the season was great. We were going into it. We had a little bump in the road, maybe just, a, you know, a loss here or there that um, either wasn't expected or, or just, you know, didn't play great. And then uh, we get to like the Christmas time area and obviously we're on Christmas break and we, uh, we have our own home tournaments at our, our home arena. And uh, we were in the championship game. Everything was good. Um, still, you know, kind of getting used to the pace along with a few of my teammates that were my age and acclimating ourselves into the game. Um, and then obviously the, the, the freak accident happened. You know, it was an illegal check. It was, um, you know, something that obviously I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy. But at the same time, you know, there was no intent behind it in terms of, um, you know, him meaning to do what he did. Obviously, he meant to, to play the body and and, you know, put on a check. But unfortunately, as I turned one way near the boards with the puck, simultaneously, two guys hit me and, and one of them ultimately put me um, headfirst into the boards and, and left me uh, motionless on the ice. So, um, you know, again, obviously, a lot of mixed emotions and, and things like that, that lead to it. But overall, uh, you know, the season itself was a, it was a crazy season, we ended up coming back and and winning the state championship that year, which is, you know, a storybook fairy tale ending um, and nothing but the, the coolest thing ever for, for both myself and the team to experience. But, um, you know, again, it's uh, it was a wild year and, and, you know, you, for what happened, I, I wouldn't have drawn it up any other way post-injury. Right. Yeah. Like based on what I know about that season, it is just, it's like tragic to winning the state championship. I mean, there's a whole yeah. bunch of emotion going into it. So right when you got hit, do you remember the moments right after laying on the ice or were your first memories in the hospital? Like, what did it look like right after? Yeah, it was pretty interesting. I, uh, I don't remember the physical contact of the hit itself. And I don't remember hitting the boards either. But um, the second I landed on the ice and fell, I was completely aware and conscious of what was going on. Um, so I remember the whole conversations on the ice. I remember, 
Um, My parents came out on the ice, which was obviously tough for them to kind of hear what was going on and realize the severity of it. Remember getting in the ER um, all the way, um, you know, through the ambulance and into the ER and, um, you know, conversations here and there. That's when life kind of got spotty with all the medication that was getting, you know, pushed into me. Um, And then on top of that, it was kind of, you know, hit and miss for the remainder of that night. I, I ended up, you know, essentially blacking out in terms of memory. Um, late that night when I had to go to a CT scan and then, um, oddly enough, woke up in terms of memory of a whole week later, even though I was completely conscious or conscious and, and aware of what was going on, having conversations, talking to people all that week, which was when life kind of blew up and, and turned me into a public figure. Um, so I don't remember that journey at all, but it's, it's crazy to think about going back, uh, even though there's, you know, maybe a memory here or there within that whole week that I missed out. Yeah. It's crazy how like the brain like reacts to trauma or just like it defends itself, Mm -hmm. like by just like not remembering certain things. Um, totally. But kind of segueing into that, like media or like public figure, what you just said, um, what was it like when your story started to spread in the hockey world? I know there was all stars visiting you in the hospital and just, and like one thing that they mentioned when they did visit was that they were expecting to walk into a hospital room that was like depressing in a way, but they were like, we were so surprised to see the energy up. It was positive. Like, so talk about how the story started spreading and how you kind of put on that positive persona. Yeah. It's, um, it's funky. Cause like, you know, you look back and like, there was no Instagram, there was no Snapchat, there was just Facebook and Twitter. And so post-injury right after that day, uh, I head up to the hospital and the captain of our team just kind of tweet, tweeted out like, you know, thoughts and prayers or, you know, everyone like spread the word and the hashtag was just hashtag jabs, um, which is obviously one of the nicknames stemming from my last name, but um, it just spread like wildfire. It went through all of the hockey team. It went through all of the, uh, the hockey community, my school, but St. Margaret's. Um, and then it just exploded into a wildfire of people, you know, hashtagging it, it ends up going, you know, trending in Minneapolis. And then by the end of the, you know, a day later, it was trending in Minnesota, and then it's trending nationwide. And then, you know, two days after the injury, I'm on the front page of Yahoo and and trending there. And so it was just, it exploded all because of, you know, the captain hashtagging it. And then, you know, all my friends and, and people at my school and people who knew me to some extent, you know, reaching out to athletes to tweet at me and, um, you know, in support and stuff like that, or, Hey, can you shout out to this guy and, um, or retweet this or that. And all of a sudden it kind of just blew up. And then, um, there's a website called like caring bridge, which is, you know, a website for people, um, I guess, you know, in our situation, people who are going through something and have a following for us to be able to journal and talk about what's going on in our life, um, for people to kind of follow and support us. So we started, my mom, who's a PR person uh, in her company, had her own PR business. Um, obviously, I had to put that aside when that happened, but um, started, you know, being that person who would, you know, talk about what was going on. And here's what Jack did today and this and that. And there was a page for people to be able to write their messages to me. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got Hall of Famers in every sport reaching out and sending their prayers and, and active NHLers. And obviously, as an athlete yourself, you know that like, you know, you look up to so many athletes and, you know, while for instance, like, you know, the professional lacrosse league or in that area, like they're not as 
quote unquote prominence as, you know, NHL athletes, we still have those people that we look up to. And for me, it was just a matter of like, holy cow, like, you know, this person's reaching out and this person, and this person. And like, I literally was like in love with this player. And all of a sudden jerseys were being sent to me left and right from all around NHL and college and um, the different areas of the world. So it all started with a hashtag and kind of blew up. And then all of a sudden, you know, months, years later, I have 50,000 followers for just, I guess, having a positive attitude. And obviously that was important and it was the way I was raised and, and just, you know, the, 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 the atmosphere around me because of how many people wanted to support. But I also understood that, like, listen, these people are going out of their way to help me and stuff. Like, you know, a, you don't want to let them down, but B like, let's have a good time. Like it's a, sh- a, a bad situation. And <laughs> you uh, can say shitty. It's shitty. <laughs> yeah. It was a shitty situation. No, by all means, we all know that. And yeah. um, for me to be able to, you know, put on a smile and have a good time. And uh, it was a matter of just acting like nothing had changed. And my friends were always there and, you know, family and family friends and uh, thousands of visitors of people I did or didn't know um, for, for months. And, uh, it was, it was a wild time when you look back and, and kind of try to not only put it into words, but just, you know, reflect on it. And, you know, I'm extremely thankful for it, but yeah, it was all about just staying positive. And while it was a, a hard reality and, and, you know, you and I both know you have your ups and your downs, regardless if you have a smile on your face or not. Um, but it, you know, all in all, it, it was, uh, something that you, you almost wish you could, relive in terms of just understanding the magnitude of everything that was going on yes totally everything everything you just said like I resonate with so much like I had a caring bridge and try like Mm -hmm. people just reaching out at first it was really overwhelming and I don't know if this is how you felt but I was overwhelmed kind of like ah like I don't want everyone to like worry about me I don't want this to be like a big thing like but then slowly over time as more and more people like started helping me and I just kind of was put in perspective of like these people just want to help, like, just let them. And like, you would do the same for them. Like, did you ever feel a sense of like, ah, like, I don't want this help or like a little like uncomfortable, like kind of sense. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me, it's, there's a lot of similarities, but in one way there was like, for me, it was a matter of like, okay, I don't like, I don't always want help because like, it's a sense of weakness, especially because there was a physical disability that literally made me like weak, not only physically, but I can't do things and I needed to ask for help. And I was never someone who was like, oh, I need help, help me out, you know, and stuff like that pre-injury. So it was a, an adjustment knowing that you had to ask people for help. And the same thing went for our family as well. Like, you know, my parents both were, you know, not people who liked to ask for help, but like to help other people. So it was a hard thing for us who, you know, all of us were, you know, like, oh, we don't need help. Like we can do it. But like in reality, like we needed a lot of help and it wasn't just like, you know, things here and there of like, you know, can you stay at the hospital tonight for Jack with Jack instead, because they needed help and they needed rest or this or that. And, you know, can you pick up food? This it's just the random, most random things. And, um, but yeah, at the same time, like it it was funky because like you're, you're embarrassed in one way, even though it has nothing to do with your fault. Uh, so to speak, but at the same time, like, you know, you were also in a boat where it was a dark time and you still needed those people around. And, you know, for us, the, and at least myself, when I speak about this, like 
I was always early on when like things were coming together and it was like, okay, this is much bigger than we thought it would ever be. Uh, the, the lesson I was always taught was listen, like because of what's going on, people are going to tell your story. You might as well make it you the one who's going to tell it instead of someone else. So that was kind of a, a big thing uh, of advice that kind of stuck with me and my family as we went through this journey in the media, but at the same time, also just knowing that, you know, we can control what comes in and what goes out because we're cooperative and we're friendly with, you know, the people around us that care. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And that like reminds me of this quote that my mom told me, like right when I got diagnosed, I was kind of in that period. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, and it's by Robin Roberts. And she said, make your mess, your message. And I absolutely love it because I'm like, like what you said, like you have control of like, you get to tell the story. Like you are the one who's in the power of doing something with it. And I totally love, love everything that you just said. That's, that's absolutely incredible. And like, also going back to like asking for help, letting your guard down, it is a tough thing to do and something that you had to like rewire kind of, and just let, like, just let help you and like retrain yourself to, I mean, especially as athletes, we're kind of just like, no, we had to push through. We had to push through, but asking for help is honestly sometimes the strongest thing someone can do. Yeah. Well, I mean, just on top of that, like it's so much more accepted now too. You know, you look at 2021 and like, you know, what just happened with Simone Biles, like she needed help and she needed um, to be able to focus on her mental strength and she needed people to support her because it's been the opposite way with so much pressure. And I'm not saying like I had any pressure on me when I was injured because I didn't. It was just a matter of like, I needed help and I needed to talk to people. And when you're down at your weakest point in your darkest moments, like that can be a very vulnerable time, uh, especially for, you know, decision-making and, you know, what you can do to yourself uh, in terms of harm, mentally, physically, et cetera. But at the same time for me, it was just like, okay, like I need to ask for help. I obviously need it. Um, and same with my parents and my brother, but at the same time, it was all that, you know, it, you, you just had to be able to open up those doors. Otherwise it was going to get darker. Mm-hmm. Because that was so like, it was 10 years ago. And like you just said, like times really have changed in so long like Simone Biles mental health is such a popular topic that is now like talked about especially amongst athletes um did you know like at first you're like oh my mental health is like I that's something I need to actually like approach and kind of prioritize or did you not realize that was going on right away it wasn't a topic of conversation because that just wasn't what was going on in 2011 2012 so for me, it was, it was more without saying it kind of thing. Like you didn't realize that you needed it. You didn't realize that that was something you had to prioritize. It was just a matter of like, you know, without anyone knowing or saying anything, we kind of just had to focus on it and not realize we were. So it was a matter of like, staying mentally healthy by having people always around so that you're not alone and the dark thoughts don't come about because that can really happen, especially when you're, you know, in a time where you feel isolated or different than everyone else, you know, the last thing you want to do is be by yourself because then that's when the darkness kind of creeps in and you have thoughts about like, you know, what if this, what if that, or what if I could have changed this? And instead of being around your friends, being around your family, being around anyone who can keep you away from those 
type of you know thoughts and those type of uh, situations because it can obviously backfire to a, a very large degree if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think just like the idea of like nowadays you can absolutely like label and identify like oh this is a mental health struggle but that's something that 10 years ago you may have been struggling mentally but that's something that just people weren't educated on and they just couldn't say like oh this is a mental health struggle that's I mean like that's so interesting that like that's what was happening without being able to like actually identify it um, yeah, it's and like that's what's so weird to like look back on. It was like, okay, yeah, that was a big time mental health moment, but like it wasn't called that. Like, and that's right, it wasn't called that, it wasn't talked about, it wasn't anything until you look back and you're like, okay, yeah, that actually was like that, right? Yeah, definitely. Like, sometimes even in the moment, you're just like, I don't even know that that's why or that's what was going on until later on, and just honestly, yeah. like how society is nowadays with just be more comfortable talking about these topics, um, which is like awesome that that's the direction that we're going in, but still obviously work to be done. Um, So a little bit back to your journey, your high school team wins the um, state championship. I mean, that's an awesome moment. I mean, it went from like tragedy to like this awesome, like win for your team. But the thing that I know, like you said, um, in the ESPN documentary was you're like, this story was that story was ending, but my story was basically just beginning. So what was kind of that like approach of like, that was a great, like Cinderella fairy tale story, but like there's, that was just step number one. Like I have this whole next journey ahead of me. Yeah, that it was, um, you know, you look back and at the time that I did the ESPN documentary for E60, and talked about like how that journey had ended and what it still continued. Like, again, like at that time, like while that was the case, you didn't always realize it, but it was quickly evident when all of a sudden hockey wasn't going on because the season ended, we won the state tournament um, in a miraculous fashion. And again, like we were the number two seed two team in the, in the state going into it, we'd struggled a little bit and then we ended up being like number six or something um going into the tournament so it wasn't you know it was a crazy tournament itself but then we win the state tournament and you know you're up till four in the morning partying uh the doctors and the nurses are asking where you are because you didn't have an overnight pass to go out because I was in the hospital until April 18th so I was in there for four and a half months and this is in the beginning of March so you get back and it's all joy. And then you, you know, end up, you go back to the hospital, you wake up and guess what? The next day you're doing five hours of therapy. And that was kind of a slap in the face. Of like, okay, like, yeah, that was awesome. But like, now that's over. There's no more happiness to pry out of the season. And like, while the run was amazing and it kept me going and um, the positivity and the community all around Minnesota, that was, that was over for the time being until the next season started again. And for us to, as a family to kind of regroup and, and realize that like, okay, yeah, that was, you know, amazing. It was phenomenal. You couldn't make up what happened, but now it's back to, to reality. And that's when I think the grind kind of kicked in just because you had to, and, and we didn't realize, you know, how much of a factor that played into it. But once the season got over, it got a little bit tougher. You know, I think less and less people showed up to the hospital because it wasn't the hockey season but I was still always very lucky to have people around almost at all times. So um, 
it was a tough journey, but that's where kind of the athlete's mindset kicked in of like, okay, my goals were not only to get, continue getting better, but as a team for us to win a state championship, that goal was checked off. Now it was like, okay, now I need to start getting stronger. I need to get back as much as I can. Cause you know, the, the, um, the, the saying or the, the kind of mental thought on paralysis is after the first 18 months of your injury, that's when things tend to plateau physically of getting back. Cause the spinal cord is swelling. That's when the swelling, you know, goes away. So once I got past those 18 months, that's when, you know, I physically, I wouldn't be able to move this or that. Uh, I can still get stronger, build muscles, get better in that aspect. So it was just a matter of understanding how crucial those first few months were, especially early on, opposed to week or month 16 and 17. It was more about those first things. So uh, it was tough, a lot of live and learn type of situations. And to this day, that's still the case, unfortunately, but that's part of the injury and, and, you know, part of the toughness that this has is, you know, you, not every injury is the same. And that's what sucks about, you know, getting into medical research and the world is, you know, it may work for one person, but it's not going to work for someone else, even if you have the same exact break. Right. Yeah. This, this injury, I mean, it's just so, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not really educated on the topic of this injury, but yeah. it just seems like it's all about like the little victories. And like you said, absolutely. Like, like is that like kind of your approach to physical therapy? I mean, physical therapy sucks. Like, so, like yeah, it's, it it's horrible. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. So did you just kind of like, or like yeah. my little victories, like, Oh, I'm moving my fingers a little bit today. I'm like that type of vibe. Yeah. It, it was something like that. I mean, it was a matter of like, you know, you have an arm bike and you know, think of it just as like a stationary bike for someone with a regular body, quote unquote. Um, and for me, it was just a matter of like, you know, on day one, like I could only get my right side to push it around. And then it was like, okay, now you need to get the left side involved. And then it was just a matter of those things slowly building up. And then can you do it at this speed for two minutes? Can you do it at three, four five? And then eventually you can do it for hours on end. And I think that's where it just becomes as an athlete's mindset of, okay, I can bench press 150 pounds. Now I need to bench press 160 and you just continue to push yourself. And having been an athlete, having been an athlete all my life and a multi-sport athlete who played four sports, you know, year round, essentially, um, you know, until I was injured, that's where it just kind of came into play of like, okay, like you just got to continue to push yourself and you know that it's going to benefit, um, you know, in the future, whether that means as an athlete, it benefits to you, you know, getting more playing time or, you know, the, a promotion or whatever it is to me, just getting stronger and knowing that it's going to benefit me in my life for the rest of my, you know, existence. Right. Definitely. I mean, it's just taking that approach that there might not be like immediate results, but like over time, you just had to work through it, take it step yeah. by step, day by day. I totally, totally relate to that. I mean, like having that athlete mindset, it definitely instills a little bit of a grind, a push and like competitiveness almost like in terms of yourself, like trying yeah. to just get better every single day. Um, so this, I love the stick tap idea. How, okay. Yeah. Talk us to, talk to us about that. How did you come up with it? What was it like? Yeah. Just give us the lowdown for that. Yeah. So, um, on the one year anniversary of my, uh, injury, my family and close friends and people who'd come together, you know, behind the scenes for us, uh, we created the, what was then the miracles foundation just back to Blonsky foundation. Um, but we raised money for spinal cord injury research. 
um, and recovery and everything uh, in that little bubble. So, um, you know, we were working with a, you know, advertising marketing company on, you know, what's a big thing that we can do. And in the hockey world, when someone gets injured, whether it's to my extent or, you know, gets their bell rung and it's just, you know, getting up or, you know, tweak something is on the, is on the ice and, and needs to be helped off or whatever, whenever that happens and he gets up or on, in my case gets stretchered off, but to any extent, whenever they get up and start working their way back to the bench, uh, everyone on the ice and, and on the boards taps their sticks, you know, just in solitude um, of, you know, hoping they're okay, whether it's your, your, your rivalry or your, your best friend. So for me, it was kind of like, let's build off of that. And uh, everyone in the hockey world knows exactly what that means when you stick tap. So it was something that we kind of came together with a, a team and, and, you know, brought to um, the Minnesota Wild, who are the NHL team in Minnesota, um, who have been very supportive of us. And their president is on our foundation board. So he's been very fortunate. Uh, we've been very fortunate to have him and he's been nothing but the best. So um, we had a big event, uh, a gala that was raising money for spinal cord injury research. And a, as a part of that, the event also runs in the game as well. So not literally while they're playing, but, you know, in between periods and commercial breaks and addressing, you know, the world that paralysis is. So um, in between the first and second period or uh, second and third, I can't remember, it was a few years back. Uh, we had everyone in the arena do a stick tap. I was out on the ice with a bunch of people from the 1980 um, Miracle team from the Olympics when the U.S. won the gold um, in shocking fashion over Russia um, or the Soviet Union. Best movie and, ever. Sorry, that's my yeah, favorite movie. <laughs> it is. I mean, you can quote everything from it. And, so good. <laughs> and it's it gives you goosebumps, even though you know exactly what happens. So, um, you know, it was it was awesome to to be a part of it and to see everyone in the stands also tapping their blow up sticks um, uh, and, you know, know that the support was there not only for myself and my recovery, but also for people that wanted to, to make a difference and help advance the, the research of, of spinal cord injury um, paralysis, because uh, it's behind in terms of progression and knowledge. And when you compare it to other things within this world um, in the same bubble, and it's just a matter of, you know, putting time and money towards it and, and, you know, resources so that we can help people like myself that are, are very, very less fortunate than I am to be able to not only improve their lives, but hopefully one day um, be able to get out of the chair permanently. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so incredible. I mean, I feel like I would have chills. I mean, just sitting in the stands, just experiencing that. I, I mean, it's surreal, like the kind of the approach that you took especially just a year after all that happened I mean you're just giving people hope and I know like you by you doing that you're like I'm gonna be the one I'm gonna be the one who's getting stick tap because I'm gonna be back I just love that approach like you're like I'm gonna be back on the ice I'm gonna be back walking I just love love it um just so I mean just a great like energy and a great vibe I I mean just so inspirational I guess is the best way to put it um, yeah, much appreciated. Yeah, of course. Um, so you do this stick tap idea. I mean, the next journey ahead, um, you enroll at USC in the journalism program. So talk to us about that. You're leaving Minnesota. Everyone in Minnesota knows your story. I mean, your story's pretty viral at that point, but maybe in California, people might not know you as well or your story. So were you excited to go to a new place? Were you excited to have kind of like a fresh start? 
Yeah, yes and no. Like, so, you know, the reason I went out to California and, and went to USC, obviously, I was very, very lucky in getting a scholarship and, um, you know, going to such a phenomenal school in Southern California. Um, it was uh, a blessing. But at the same time, like in Minnesota, you know, having always been in the spotlight and everywhere I was going, you know, in public, everyone knew who I was. And you know, you'd walk by people and you'd hear them whisper like, oh, my gosh, that's Jack or Jabs or whatever. So like, I couldn't always be myself. I always had to be this picture perfect version or this expected person of who Jack was. So it's not that I wasn't who I was, but I couldn't be myself at all times. So it was great to go out to California. And the reason I was out in California and chose, you know, such a place is because um, with my injury, I can't control my own body temperature. So I'm always cold. Anything below 65 and sunny, it might as well be snowing in a tundra. So that's how I feel internally. So I had to get out of Minnesota because of the weather, um, the comfort, the sun here. It's just, you know, the mindset, everything it helps when you wake up and it's sunny. Um, so that was a big reason, but I come to California and yeah, absolutely nervous because not only was I going to college, I was going to college halfway across the country without a support system, uh, without a team and, uh, in a wheelchair without independence. So, it was obviously extremely frightening and scary and you tried not to think about it, but, you know, I look back and the, the first semester of school is really tough. Um, and that was uh, a hard one to wrap around. And, you know, you're just trying to figure things out and you're trying to figure out not only how am I going to, you know, get good grades, but how am I actually going to do the work? How am I going to go to class? How am I going to take care of the medical things that I need to deal with on a daily basis throughout the day itself? So, it was all figuring that out. And then on top of that, how do you make friends? So, you know, the first semester I started in the spring semester just to get a little bit of time off after having been nonstop since my injury all the way through graduation. And then to be able to get out there and kind of just acclimate myself before I get into a real fall semester where everyone kind of comes together and, and does everything and, and you get the football season and stuff like that. So uh, crazy, frightening. You didn't want to think about it, but you know, super lonely that first semester because you're just trying to figure everything out. Um, and then uh, the fall semester started after going back home in Minnesota for the summer and you know, focusing on therapy again and, and all that type of stuff. I ended up, uh, I joined a fraternity and it was the best decision I ever made because not only did I have a hundred and change people that had the same things in common that I did, but also, um, I had a team. I had a group of people that I could hang out with and, and had things in common with, which was something that I didn't realize I missed until I left high school and started as a freshman as an individual. So it was, uh, it was the best decision I've ever made since going to SC because it changed my whole career path. It changed my whole friendship um, world and, and my social life. Um, and then brought a, a great spark of, of, you know, fun and joy to, to being able to, to live that college life as much as possible, even though I obviously still missed out on quite a bit of that. Yeah. I think one thing that you like touched upon was like, I felt so fortunate going to a school where I'm on a team and like, it's an instant, like best friend, like feel you have that support system. So yeah. during your first like semester, at school, were there like days where you're like, I, I can't do this. Like, you're like, I, I might drop out. I might leave. Like, how did you approach those days, those periods of time where you're like, no, like this is ultimately going to be like the best thing for me. 
Yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting because it was like, and as an athlete, and you hate saying this when you look back, but I, in high school, like grades in school is such an afterthought. It was all about hockey, especially in Minnesota. So uh, I wasn't like an academic guru. I still not to this day, you know, you have to grind your way to, to get the grades you do because it just didn't come easily. So you go to USC and as that first year freshman or first semester freshman living as an individual, you almost just looked forward to going to class because there were chances to be social and there were chances to just get out and about. Cause then you'd come home and like, you know, you'd make friends here and there, but nothing that was like, you know, permanent um, just to kind of get by when you say it sucks to say it that way, but that's just kind of how it was. Uh, Cause then you'd come home and you just, you know, hang out for the most part by yourself here and there, you'd go out with some friends and stuff, but it was a lonely life. And like, I think if I didn't join the fraternity in my uh, second semester freshman year in the fall, I don't know how long I would have lasted at USC just because of the independence and the, the, the lack of knowledge for the, the, the state and the community around me. So that really opened up my horizons and, and changed everything. Otherwise I probably would have ended up back at the university of Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, thank goodness everything just like worked out. I mean, sometimes yeah. you just kind of had to just push through in the darkest of times. And it's a hard transition for anyone. I mean, college, it's hard. <laughs> Everything's so new. Every you're just everyone's trying to find their place. I mean, exactly. it's just it's hard. Um, so now I want to talk about your involvement with the hockey world today. I mean, yeah. you went to USC, but you weren't saying goodbye to hockey. So I mean, it's just a big part of you and your life. Um, so you work for the LA Kings and like, in a way you kind of have my dream job. Cause I would love to work for any professional <laughs> team, especially in their like content coordinating, um, field. I think that's just so cool. So kind of give us the lowdown of like what you do for the LA Kings. Yeah. So I interned for them for four years in college all of my way through. And, uh, it was, uh, a great experience. I got connected just through the hockey world and been being in Minnesota, everyone knows everyone. So got an opportunity to intern for them and, and kind of learned. I worked doing podcasts for three of the seasons and the other one, I kind of just learned about the business behind the scenes. Cause you know, at all times it was just kind of like as an athlete, you just show up and you play, but in reality, it's not like that. There's so much else that goes on behind the scenes that has to be put together and, and, you know, taken care of for just the team to run, you know, just for you to be able to show up to the game and the ice be ready and the, uh, you know, the, the electronics to be on for the announcers to know the starting lineups to, to just getting the, the right people on the lineup card to the scratches in the games. So for all of that, it was just a matter of like really opening up on that business side. And for me, I've always wanted to be on the, the sports side of it and still working to that day. But like for right now, it's like, I love what I do. It's a phenomenal gig. Um, it's been a, a blessing to be able to learn not only through college uh, about this side of the business, but also now in the professional world while still having an opportunity to learn about the hockey side as well. So, you know, right now I work in content for the Kings. I, I do a lot of website content for us. So a lot of written content on LAKings.com is from me, whether it has my name on it or the King's name on it. Um, anything like that, you know, will come from me or a few other people. But the majority of the written stuff on our website is our is usually for myself. On top of that, it's just um, you know the insider website, which is you know your super fan, high IQ hockey fans, where you get to talk about the team a little bit more in detail and interview players and coaches and management and scouts about 
um, you know, whatever it is on topic. And so I get to do that, talk to a lot of people. And on top of that, podcasting, uh, social media interviews for the King's social medias, um, and being able to, to talk to experts across the NHL about whatever the hell is going on in the King's world or the hockey world at that time. So it's a lot of fun. I, I like to focus on a lot of our prospects because we have a really good group of young players that are set to become, um, you know, pretty good NHLers down the road in a few years. So it's nice to be able to focus on them and, and get to know the younger group of players, especially as I'm someone who's younger in this side of the business and, and trying to work my way up as well. Yeah. I'm sure you have like a whole different appreciation now for what goes into a hockey game besides yeah, just showing up and what, what actually yeah. needs to happen in order for the game to occur. I think that's just, I mean, I mean, that's a cool like job. And I mean, it's awesome that you still get to stay connected in the hockey world and as many yeah. ways as possible. Um, I mean, that's awesome. So now um, let's talk about your foundation, the Believe Foundation. What is it? What are your mm-hmm. guys' goals? What do you guys stand for? Let's just hear all about it. Yeah, for sure. So as I mentioned, it started on the one year anniversary and we raise money for spinal cord injury research. Currently, we're working on two different fundraising projects that um, uh, deal with both upper body function and lower body function. So we have an upper body function that's in conjunction uh, in the works slash partnered with uh, Mayo Clinic, which is the top hospital in America. Um, that just happens to be a few hours south of Minneapolis and Minnesota. So that one we're working with is um, an electric stim unit that is surgically implanted into someone's back. And it takes, as of right now, paraplegics. So people with, you know, quote unquote, normal function from the waist up um, and then paralysis from the waist down, uh, those uh, injuries and you implant the device, you attach electrodes and electricity to the spinal cord um, and then activate it with a remote. So Um, We've taken multiple patients who were paraplegics in wheelchairs to being able to walk the length of a football field with a walker on their own. So it's, it's changing paralysis. It's being able to validate that it actually works. Now it's just a matter of, you know, finding the most efficiency and um, uh, the best outcome for people like myself and obviously paraplegics as well. So the, uh, the upper body function that we're doing right now is partnered with UCLA. And it's also, um, this one's on external. So it's not invasive um, in terms of surgical and it's for upper body function, hand function, which is something that um, will be on the first of everyone's list with quadriplegic uh, injuries in terms of what they'd like to get back. So obviously you look someone like myself or anyone in a wheelchair that doesn't have um, you know, the best upper body function, you'd say, oh, he can't walk. He must want that back. Well, obviously, yes. But the number one thing that anyone like myself will tell you is we don't want that back right now. We want hands, our hand function back. Our, it's That's all of our independence right there. So uh, we're working on improving people's upper body function with uh, the t- clinical trial at UCLA and, and um, Spinex, but it's, uh, it's coming along. We've seen extremely promising results in both, uh, in both areas, both the upper body and lower body, um, studies. And, um, it's coming a long way. We've raised well over a million dollars, um, in existence of our foundation. And, um, it's great. You know, we're, we're excited about the progress that's being made, but at the same time, we understand that it's, it's going to take a little bit more and a lot more people, more money, more resources to be able to, to continue to improve people's lives like myself. 
Yeah. Um, so with the progress that you see, like these individuals making, what kind of feelings does that like instill in you? Does it instill hope? Does it instill that like that like empowerment? Like I'm gonna walk again. I'm gonna get my hands moving fully again. Like what kind of feelings are kind of provoked in those moments? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's hope. It's it's you know you're proud of what you've been able to accomplish because I'm I'm lucky to have a voice and not everyone in my situation does, let alone you know, let's, I consider myself like the third luckiest person in America with paralysis in terms of resources, publicity, um, and everything that goes along in that world. So, um, to have a voice like the, you know, other, honestly, three, four five people in America that have paralysis, um, is something that I don't want to take lightly and to be able to, to do, um, these type of, you know, events and raise money for people who have it worse off than I do is, you know, extremely gratifying knowing that you can make an impact and help those like yourself. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, I know how dark life was for me and I can only imagine how it was for everyone else who goes through what I did without, you know, people in the hospital room and professional athletes reaching out to myself and, not being on Twitter and, you know, having a bunch of people know who you are. So um, I do it for myself. I do it for everyone who doesn't have a voice and I do it for, you know, the future because paralysis is awful. It really is. And you just try to, you know, continue pushing forward um, to be able to, to make that as least awful as possible. Yeah. Um, how do you like find the balance of like you said, like you're like, people have it a lot worse than me. Like I'm in this lucky position to have a voice, have a platform, but also like you aren't in a, like the best situation possible compared to a lot of other people. Like, do you let yourself feel those emotions that side? Or are you kind of taking that approach of just totally being like, no, there's people who have it worse than me. We all have ups and downs and uh, you know, it's how we handle them. Obviously I think you know, for you and, and going through your cancer treatment like you did, and, and obviously me, you know, obviously to this day, um, you know, the downs are obviously more down than, say, your quote unquote average person. But at the same time, you know, you also have to take advantage of those positive moments. And for me, it's a matter of making sure that the positives outweigh the negatives, as hard as that may be to look at some days when you look in the mirror. Um, but it's just, it's knowing that, you know, I'm lucky enough to still be alive. I'm lucky enough to still have function in the areas that I do. I'm lucky enough to have the support system. And, and for people that quote unquote, didn't have that it's, you know, and I, it's such a weird way to put it, but I think it resonates with a lot of people is, you know, whenever you're going through a dark time, there's always someone out there that has it worse off. And, you know, you don't want to compare yourself to others all the time, but I think, you know, realizing that you do have this and you do have that. And, you know, that's different for every individual. Um, it's still something that can go a long way because, uh, you know, I did have a support system. I had a family that was backing me. I had people that wanted to, to help. I had, you know, function in my upper body and I had the drive to, to make a difference, not only for myself, but hopefully for others down the road as well. But, you know, I think when anyone's going through a tough time in life, you just have to kind of come to yourself and realize that, listen, it's not over, no matter how deep and dark it may feel you know, there's always going to be a brighter time and you just look at your loved ones, you look at your friends and kind of just focus in on how important you are to them as much as they're to you. 
Yeah. I think that approach is honestly so inspiring. I think a lot of people can learn a lot from especially what you just said and just is a good reminder that like be thankful for the position that you are in today. Um, do you think there was ever like a moment, maybe you still think about it today, um, thinking about what you've been through, what you're going through now, like type of, of way to approach this, I guess is the best way to say like, this was like supposed to happen to me. Like this was a part of my journey. This was meant to like, I was kind of like, quote unquote, chosen by the universe to be like, do something with this. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people look at it that way. And some people don't. I've never been like a quote unquote believer in like everything happens for a reason. What I do believe in is that it's up to you when something happens. So, you know, do I believe like, oh, it was made to be that I was the one to get injured? No. But what I do believe is that I've been given the opportunity now that I am injured to make a difference. And I absolutely want to, and I absolutely feel the the necessity to, not only because it's not out there, but because I have an opportunity to help others and and want to help others, knowing what I've been through and knowing what everyone else has gone through. Because again, like I wouldn't wish this injury upon my worst enemy. I wouldn't, you know, Uh, want anyone to deal with this because it's not the way anyone should live life but unfortunately the fact of the matter is is it exists and you know whenever you play a contact sport you understand the severity and the risks that you you know are getting into but you never think it's going to be you and obviously it did end up being me and um in that case you know it is what it is but um because it happened and because i'm in this situation i have an opportunity to make a difference and that's what it's about yeah, I I really like that. Like, it's not a matter of the, if this was like supposed to happen to you, if this was like a part of your journey, but it's just a matter of like, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do now yeah. that you're faced with it? It's, I r- really like that. Yeah, it's not about what happens to you. It's about how you respond. And that's kind of the way I've always looked at it. Absolutely. Um, one last little question. It's a pretty basic question, but I, I always like to hear people's responses. Mm-hmm. But Um, If you could give one piece of advice to anyone listening, maybe specifically if they're struggling to keep their hope alive, what would you want to tell them? Well, I think number one is that you can always better yourself, no matter if you're working your ass off and you're working 80 hours a week and uh, you're miserable, you can always better yourself in any which way. And, And by that, I mean, you know, for me, I know that tomorrow I can go out and make my life better by working hard and working out and, you know, eating right. And I think for anyone that's in the dumps or, you know, looking for happiness or whatever it may be, is that A, you need to be your true self. And I think for that, you have to understand who you are as a human and, you know, where you are in your life and where you want to be. And then I think once you understand that, you can kind of reflect and say, okay, now how do I get there? And as an athlete, that just for me is goal setting. So I think that's extremely important because, you know, if you don't have goals or you don't have a place where you want to be and you're kind of just floating by the wayside, I think that's an opportunity for others to pass you up. And, and, you know, that is where I think people can make differences in their lives, whether it means getting a promotion or scoring a one more goal per game or whatever it may be, um, you know, as long as you're doing everything in your nature and not blaming others for something that's going on in your life, I think that you have a lot of opportunity to continue to improve yourself and better your life. 
Yeah. So, so true. So true. Um, if people want to like find you, reach you, donate to um, the Believe Foundation, what's the best way to for them to approach that? Yeah. So um, our website for our foundation is believefoundation.org and it's B-E-L-1-3-V-E for uh, Believe. 13 was my number in high school and it's obviously connected to me in many ways nowadays. Um, but yeah, so that's the website, believefoundation.org. You can look up my name in our, the My Foundation. Now it's the Jack Jablonski Foundation. So it's all there. All the information is there on the events we have, what we do, our merchandise, our story, um, what we've done in the past with raising our money, where the money goes. Um, and then my personal you know, life is on social media. Um, on Twitter, it's jabs underscore 13. Um, on Instagram, it's Jack Jablonski 13. It'll come up pretty quickly, I I think if you start to type in a full name and um, yeah, it's just, you know, I social media for me is there for not only work um, in the Twitter world, but also um, on Instagram, kind of just my personal life and my journey and positivity um, within my, you know, rehabilitation and, and good vibes as well. So um, yeah, believefoundation.org and then the social medias as well. Yeah. And I'll also put the URL link in the information of this episode in the bio of this episode so if you guys want to donate highly recommend check out the story check out their cause um i mean they're just doing great things for all the people out there but um jack thank you so so much for coming on not a 10 i mean can't imagine a more perfect guest for any episode of not a 10 you are absolutely incredible and i know so many people are going to get so many great lessons and just good feels from this episode so thank you so much Hey, thanks so much for having me on and um, best of luck in in lacrosse and and your journey as well. Yeah, thank you. Right back at you. But um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and that you guys have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.